Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online cinema, serving up a great selection of films from around the globe for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Bill Graham. Woo! And joining us to help us review the film Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, it's Jessica Kiang. Hi. Hello. How are you doing today? Or I'm doing all right this evening. This yes. evening, the wee small hours of the morning. <laughs> um, this is one of the more bizarre circumstances that we've ever recorded under. It is currently 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, uh, which is an hour earlier than usual for us. But Jessica, it is currently 1 a.m. your time, correct? That's right, 1 a.m. But it's all right. My circadian rhythms have been all screwed up for months now, so don't worry about it. I feel like oh, that's boy. what we got going for us. It's is that, Tuesday, uh, right? <laughs> Well, I guess it is Tuesday over there, so yeah. that was a joke, but it turned into reality. That was awkward. As, as so it. many things are now, a joke that turned into reality. Yeah. Bill, you missed it's Tuesday somewhere. <laughs> it's 1 a.m. somewhere. Oh, boy. All right. Oh. So, yes. Uh, Jessica, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our audience, tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Yes. Um, uh, I'm Jessica. Um, this, this feels oddly like the beginning of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where I should confess to being an alcoholic, but I'm, I don't think I am an alcoholic. I am, however, a film critic. Um, I Some would argue variety. that's worse. <laughs> so I know, exactly. I, I think many people would, would be quite right to argue that it's worse. Um, I write for Variety for uh, the playlist for Sight and Sound and anyone else who will pay me. All right. And uh, yeah, as I said, we're here today to talk about uh, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, a new filmed narrative experience from <laughs> Bill Ross IV and Turner Ross. Um, before we get into that, the usual stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show, email us podcast filmstage.com. And of course, you can give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. Helps more people to find our show. You can also become a patron of this year podcast by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as one dollar an episode you get access to our slack channel first crack at all of our raffles and a bunch of other really cool stuff that i don't feel like going into again that is patreon.com slash the film stage show we are also brought to you by Mubi, curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe the way it works is every day movie premieres a new film whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, and it's guaranteed to either be a movie that you've been dying to see, one you've never heard of, and you are guaranteed to love. The movie, every film is hand-selected, so you are no longer at the behest of the algorithm, the machine which lives in the clouds and determines our daily lives. What have they got? Uh, I just want to once again highlight LaFleur <laughs> in three parts. Bill, have you gotten to this one yet? Bill is dead. Bill, are you eating something right now? <laughs> Sorry. No. Uh, I had to step away, and then you asked me a question, and I was like, shit. 
Um, no, I have not gotten around to this yet. All right. I, I think I, I think I still have what? 20 days. You still have like 20 days, but remember it is like 17 hours long. So yes. So an hour, 13, I think it's an hour, 13 hours. I, I can commit 30 minutes a day. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, man. The film of the day today is Fragile as the World. And this is a new movie from 2002, new to the service. Vera and Yoyo, which I've probably pronounced incorrectly, are young and in love. And their desire forces them to run away from their friends and home. Isolated in a forest, they promise to never leave each other's side. But one day, Vera falls ill and her partner must go and ask for help. The unshakable faith in their amorous bond is about to break. It sounds pretty great for the world we live in right now. So, yeah, check that out. All you got to do for a free 30 trial is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Recently, I haven't seen much point in doing a quarantine COVID update. Uh, but since we have someone from another part of the world, I think it would be interesting to hear. Uh, Jessica, how have things been going in your neck of the woods? Oh, I, I feel I feel bad discussing this with anybody who's in America. And I guess they're all in America, right? Yeah. Um, I think actually the rest of the world is is looking at you guys with a sort of a, a mixture of horror and sort of guilt that we're having it so what? much better than you are. It's What's fair. going on? So uh, I'm not a, I'm not aware. What's well, going on? I just <laughs> yeah. No, there's some sort of I think there's some sort of illness. Um, happening but yes um here it's been it's been um much easier i think uh they, i mean this is germany it, they they we have a, a sort of a, a responsible government who in whom people place quite a degree of trust um and they seem to have managed to have curbed the early excesses of it and so now things are open again cinemas are open here um do y'all believe in science <laughs> sorry <laughs> do y'all believe in science well, yeah, I mean, oh, we, well, then fuck. You, you, yeah, there you go. There ahead of us. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica, what is available at the cinemas right now? Is it like a particular rotation or is it newer films or um, it's newer films? Uh, some some kind of uh, dodgy French comedies that have obviously been held back for a while. Um, and I think then like stuff like um, Siberia, the, the Abel Ferrara movie that that okay. came out. So, so I mean, we are getting some. They have there's a very healthy art house scene here anyway. That the kino scene is is pretty good. Um, I haven't actually tried to do any of the multiplex things. Um, I'm, I'm I think I've already seen almost everything that's out in there. So I think I mean like like everywhere they're suffering from the lack of Hollywood product at the moment. But um, in in many other respects, uh, there are movies that are kind of getting an airing that probably wouldn't have otherwise. So it's kind mm -hmm. of an interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like you're seeing this a lot with, uh, I mean, I feel like in two way, in two different entire uh, sectors of the film world, you saw this today with Tenet being announced everywhere <laughs> except the US. Yeah. And, then, and then Toronto, yeah, it's, it's Toronto and Venice, I believe, that is partly virtual from, from what I saw. From what Venice, I saw today. Venice is live. Venice is going to be Venice a live live. physical event. Yeah, I'm going to be at it. So <laughs> I hope it is anyway. <laughs> so, so what's going on over there is kind of like uh, the replacements, but for movies. The Keanu Reeves film, The Replacements from like 2002. <laughs> sure. I, I, isn't that a remake? So I guess it's a... Was it a remake? I have I was, literally no idea. I'm and I was totally unfamiliar with this. I, I was am wrong. totally unfamiliar with it, so I can't tell you if it's like <laughs> what? that. What? 
<laughs> I was. I'll just say I was wrong. It is actually a 2000 film, and it does not appear to be a remake. It is Keanu Reeves. It is Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman. and uh, Brooke Langton. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank thank you for dropping that knowledge. Okay, yes, it's so, it's so definitely what it is, exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. So what it is is it's basically. Bill, uh, we're not getting into the plot of the replacements. <laughs> we're just not. Yeah, no, no, it's just NFL it replacement players. Yes, it's a bunch of scabs. Um, so, but they play with more heart, and that's what matters. Anyway, uh, so that's interesting. Um, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like uh, America really dropped the ball to go back to football. Uh, we, uh, I don't know what's going on. I hate it, and it sucks, but it's good to know that elsewhere in the world, things are starting to get back to normal. I just hope that uh, y'all don't make the same mistakes we did, where we were like, we think it's cool, we're going to start doing stuff again, and even if it turns out not to be cool, we're going to keep on doing stuff. Mm. I mean, I think everyone is is sort of waiting for some some feared second spike or or for. But I think in general, I mean, mask wearing is is more, much more prevalent here, and we don't have people screaming at each other in Target for wearing a mask, or you know, we don't have people beating each other up on the street over that. So uh, I think I think yeah, I'm 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 pretty blessed to have to have spent the pandemic uh, as uh, so far here anyway. To be fair. That's not the only thing we're beating each other up in the street over. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. You do have some other problems as well. I hear. Oh, yes. <laughs> Anytime um, anyone asks, I just say I'm from Canada. It makes things easier. <laughs> but it makes you seem a lot more boring. I'm like, yeah, I'm from America. You want to know how bad it is? And then I basically explain the plot of Fury Road to them. And then I come off like a badass. It's great. <laughs> Shiny and chrome. Shiny and chrome. Um, I will say again, though, just like I, I don't know if it's like the D.C. area or what, but like everyone I see is always wearing a mask. Everyone's super polite. I don't know. Okay. It's so weird. It's so weird to look at parts of your own country and be like, is that real? Like that's happening here? Like what the hell is wrong with, I don't know, corn country? Mm. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's fun. Uh, I assume that all of us are still doing as we have been doing. So I will skip over us, and that way we can get sooner to Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, our review of said film, um, this film out now in all the ways can, that a film can, can I be ask out now. <laughs> Absolutely, Bill. So this is a movie? I don't know. We'll get into it. Let's. Uh, oh, okay. All right. Let's... <laughs> I, I, just, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I was very confused because you kept on calling it a movie and a film, and I was like... What am I watching? What did I watch? I don't know. That, that a is, documentary in It is legitimately marks. not a documentary. Um, we will. Oh, no. I am sure that 90% of our conversation will be okay. about what is uh-huh. this and what value does it hold. Uh, but before we get into it uh, in earnest, let's uh, listen to part of the trailer. Oh, for whatever reason, my thing decided to reload. So give me one second bananas hello you're just in time for the knot party we're not having fun in celebration of not closing is this a real thing is this really happening twenties I'm doing great. Thank you for asking how I'm doing, first person today. 
<laughs> All right, so that is part of the trailer for Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, a filmed narrative experience about a uh, final day of operation for a dive bar that purports to be outside of Las Vegas that is about to close. It follows the employees and the regulars who populate it as they uh, say goodbye to their haunt. Uh, I've been using a lot of strange words to describe this thing that we're talking about. (laughs) A a narrative experience sounds like a Quibi commercial. Oh, no. Yes. Um, I'm starting my own content-focused video app, and we will have filmed narrative experiences. Um, Yeah, so the basic basic deal with this movie is it was positioned as a documentary. I believe that it showed at Sundance as a documentary. It says documentary under it in uh, IMDb. And it was at True False as well, the documentary festival, yes. I, I believe. <laughs> it, was also at, it was also at CPH Docs, the Copenhagen documentary festival, which is actually how I saw it first. So, what yeah. a bunch of assholes! <laughs> so, so the 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 thing is, the movie presents itself as such, both aesthetically and apparently, as far as its release was concerned, different festivals, but it is. To call it pushing the boundaries of what could be defined a documentary is, I believe, a gross crime against the definition of a documentary. Uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about it. So let's uh, let's get into it. There's, this is going to be one of our most metatextual conversations ever, probably. And, Brian, um, Brian, r- real quick. Where does it fall as in um, is what, – what's uh, – fi- not Firewalk with me. What's, what's the uh, – Oh, is the, Twin Peaks the return of movie? Yes. Is is that more frustrating or is this more frustrating? I'm that is, leave. Though, that I will, I can answer clearly that that is more frustrating because <laughs> okay. I'm not even going to give a reason why it's self-evident, but this is still equally as frustrating. Anyway, Jessica, you said you saw this at CPH Docs. Um, yes. So when you first saw it, were you aware of its actual production history or did you come into this believing it on its own terms or i guess explain that to us and tell us what you thought of the movie okay i will i will take you through it blow by blow incidentally i would like to say i am really flattered that my reputation has preceded me to the degree that you guys are doing a movie about uh you know a bunch of booze hounds in a dive bar and it's like hey let's give jess a call this Um, movie was Position to me, similarly, it was like, hey, Brian, I've heard a lot of your stories on the podcast. This is something we should talk about. <laughs> yes. Oh, I feel I feel amply qualified. I am, after all, Irish. So, you know, I, I feel amply qualified. Um, so I saw this. I did see it through CPH Docs, which I was supposed to attend this year for the first time, but then was canceled due to some uh, virus or other. Um, so I ended up watching it online. But however... I actually went to Sundance this year for the first time. Uh, glad I managed to get one in under the under the wire there. Um, so I went to Sundance and I was in the Variety House. So um, I actually heard about uh, Bloody Nose Empty Pockets first from Amy Nicholson, who was reviewing it for Variety. Um, and it was literally after she came back from the screening and uh, she was talking about how much she had liked the film, but then uh, brought up the fact that she had ethical qualms about exactly what you're talking about, about its presentation as a documentary, about whether or not it belonged in the documentary competition. So as it happened, I didn't get to see it in Sundance and I didn't see it then until online uh, as part of CPH Docs. But 
I so I went in already knowing um already knowing the 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 ruse the 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 dirty trick that they played with us um and i have to say it i i'm not sure if it's because i already knew it or i i actually i don't think it is um but it it does not bother me even the slightest bit um i i so i really really love the film um i think uh for one thing Again, uh, it's my Irish background factoring in here, but I, I think so few movies, especially um, Hollywood movies, especially American movies, even independent American movies, do drinking right. And and this really does do drinking right. Um, I, I find it uh, I found it re- incredibly immersive, uh, totally recognizable. And so the fact that it is maybe that it wasn't, uh, you know, a fly on the wall observed documentary, that it was actually structured, um, it didn't bother me at all because it, the, the result felt so authentic. All right. Bill Graham, what about yourself? What did you know going in? When did you find out the truth? What did you think of the movie? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, judging by my question at the beginning of this podcast, I know very little going in. Um, I feel like I got catfished at this point. Uh, but <laughs> that that being said, I uh, I agree with Jessica. I really fucking enjoy this movie, uh, even if it is a farcical kind of uh, exercise in in genre in genre uh masquerading i don't know i i I don't know how to phrase that um but yeah i still fucking enjoy this movie i uh i think there's so much recognizable content going on here um that yeah i i just fell under this this documentary's (laughs) spell um to the point where i don't feel bad that it it kind of uh you know, played its hand the way it did. Um, because I mean, look, like I could have done the research ahead of time and figured out if this was or wasn't. Um, but I didn't. And I'm probably all that much better for it because I, you know, maybe, maybe that is a trick in a way that can help, uh, make your film even better in a way. I don't know. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah, no, I I enjoy this, but I can understand some of the some of the ethical qualms. But I, I think I guess what I've had in maybe the last five to ten years is is my view of so much journalistic uh, film has so radically changed. Whether we're talking like you know uh, about someone like Steve James, or then people like Robert Greene or the Ross Brothers, who are so regularly blurring the line. That I kind of, uh, as I kind of jokingly said earlier, I knew this was a documentary with quotation marks, but I purposely did not read about it. Uh, So what I will say is that um, since we're just about to get into what it is, um, I personally thought this was non-actors – uh, working within a constructed format, which is in a way kind of what this is. But, and you know, in, in that sense, it, it comes in a long lineage of documentaries that are, as you put it, Brian, like apparently, uh, specifically that word, apparently, um, 
viewed in that way. And yeah, it's not obvious about its fraudulence, but then, you know, you look back as far as things like Nanook of the North and, you know, you see things that are regularly messing with perception, you know, even in the last decade, like things that were wildly praised, like the imposter or, you know, the arbor, or, you know, this has become its own thing. You know, the act of killing, uh, all of these already have a certain sense of construction that the whole idea of the real has, 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 especially in the last few years, become a lot more, a lot less important to me. Um, and uh, and I guess so. Yeah, those are my initial thoughts. I I quite like this. I don't think, I think that it does a beautiful job in emulating a bar, um, in in a lot of really soulful, powerful ways. But I'm not sure that I took that as much as I actually wanted to uh, from it as an experience. And uh, Brian, we know we know you're going to be the counterpoint here, and I'm looking forward to talking about this. But the one question I have for you is if this was up front about its construction, would you have felt less like the rug was pulled on you? I So that's an interesting question. Um, I think if it were more upfront about it, I'd give it a C instead of a D minus. Wow. Like, wow. Okay. I, I did not like this. So here's the thing. And this is this is another one of like, I guess my things about like why the cinematic experience will never truly die. Because I was watching this on a screener that was sent to us so kindly by the production company. And it just started failing in the middle. I don't know what was wrong with it. Uh, I don't know if it was oh, the no. service they were using or the file or something or my internet. And so I had to stop midway through. <laughs> Which was unfortunate. Vimeo's usually, yeah, no, Vimeo, the the platform which I was trying not to name, um, usually is really solid. I've watched many, many a screener on it, and sure. it's great, and I love it. Um, but for whatever reason, it failed, and I was like, you know what, <clears throat> I'm just gonna stop watching. I'll watch the rest of it tomorrow. And unfortunately, that allowed me the opportunity <laughs> to try to reacquaint myself with what I believed I'd heard, which was that this was a documentary that employed some reenactments in some way. And I was like, it's weird because it feels very verite. It feels like it's very immediate. I haven't seen anything yet. I wonder what the deal is. And then like I read one line that was like kind of fainting at the fact that this was all a ruse. What and was it? I don't remember. It was from okay, some, sure. it was, so, it was from a review, maybe the one on Roger Ebert or something, which was like a four star review. But I, like I, the second that I found that out, I was like, well, why the hell am I watching this? <laughs> like I wasn't enjoying it that much to begin with. Um, it's 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 well shot. Like it's it's got this kind of I don't know, like it's kind of like a like a 60s, 70s Altman-esque kind of, you know, overlapping voices. It reminded me a lot of the the beginning of uh, of um, California Split. You know, just in like all the people and there's a scene in a bar in that and all the drunkards and everything. And again, like I I have spent many a time in a bar, especially like string light lit dive bars where there's a weird mix of like cool 20 somethings and like lifelong, you know, grown roots on the bar stool old timers. Like every time I go to Texas, I go to a bar with a friend of mine who looks like the opening shift bartender in this movie. 
and he's there and he's talking to everyone he knows everyone he asks after their families you know i get introduced today it's like it's great it's wonderful i'll never see these people again and we're all drunk and we're having a good time and so i kind of grooved on that for a while and then i was like i just don't this is not as interesting as i want it to be i'm not enjoying it and like then the movie died and then i found out about what the movie was and then the whole rest of the time i was watching it i was just like incensed (laughs) <laughs> and I was, I just, cause, cause if it's, if it's not real, then why aren't you making it better than this? Like, I guess is the problem. It okay, weirdly, so what, can, can I just ask a question though? Yes, so absolutely. If, if you, if you had been enjoying it at the point where your screener died and then you discovered it was, it was, uh, you know, faked or whatever, mm-hmm. would, would that have, would you have less of an issue with the fact that it's not strictly a documentary or whatever that means? So like if I had been able to watch it all the way through? No, if, if you had been enjoying it at that point, it seems like oh, you, you, you uh, I already think weren't enjoying it. Weirdly, I feel like maybe I would have been more unhappy if I had been enjoying it. <laughs> Um, because then I would have really felt as, as Bill said, catfished and I would have felt lied to. Like, I don't understand the purpose in talking about this as a documentary in any way. Like it's, it's just purely not unless you want to say like the real world is a documentary. Like this is, this is like a reality TV situation implanted with the aesthetics of like indie art house cinema which is fine if that's what you're into, but like, I can't stand the real housewives of New York. And I likewise at a certain point, just like didn't understand why I was watching the real booze of Las Vegas or New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, so that was just, uh, it was just annoying. And like, Hold on. What? Bill. New Orleans? That's right. Bill, you have no idea what the actual truth of this is. Are, are yet, you fucking kidding me? This is filmed in New Orleans? What? <laughs> yes, well, the bar isn't closed. The bar is still there. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna, we're just going to keep on blowing your mind, aren't Is we? it also called... <laughs> Take the is it, off. Yeah. Is it called 40s? What, what, what's going the boring on? Boring 20s? Boring 20s. Okay. My. So, yeah. so that's an actual bar? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, jeez. I mean, it's a nice looking bar. Like if I were in New Orleans, I'd go and hang out there. Like it seems nice. I did notice the trinkets looked a little, a little more Southern than Las Vegas. I was like, hmm, these, these trinkets on these walls. This is more swamp than desert. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so I, um, I just, I just, you know, I hadn't, I'd been sort of cool on it, but I was willing to let it, you know, reveal itself. Like, you know, there are movies that I've fallen in love with in the last five minutes but then this one, like, I was like, yeah, I like at a certain point, I was just like, why am I even watching this? Like, what is the purpose? Like, what am I doing here? I have other things that I need to do. And I, I think, isn't this one of these cases where, I mean, it really is that the proof is in the pudding. Like, I, I think that if, I mean, it, 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 to me, the, the the reason why I'm watching this even though it's, you know, maybe marketed as a documentary and isn't strictly documentary, is for the effect that it has on me. And because the effect that it had on me was was extremely positive and was extremely pleasurable, um, I I don't care so much about the taxonomy or the categorization of it. It's 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 a thing that works. It and and it, you know, I don't think any of us are going to be able to convince you that it works on that level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I tried to think of other instances where something like this may have happened. And I thought about, um, for instance, Fargo, which says like, you know, this is based on a true story and it's Mm -hmm. not, it's 100% not. And you know, people find that out and they're like, well, 
why would they lie about that? Like, what is like, I don't know anyone who's really fallen off of the Fargo train when they realize that none of that stuff actually happened. Um, have and you seen Kumiko, the treasure hunter? Yeah, Brian? we reviewed it on this podcast. Oh, I think we it was- did. Oh, my God. <laughs> Were you here? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I hope not. Jeez. <laughs> that was a movie I found interesting but deeply frustrating, and I can't remember why. I just remember that that was my opinion. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just- funny, though. Oh, Bun Bun is the best. Yes. Bunzo, Bun yeah. Yes. Is it oh, Bunzo? I-, I thought it was Bun Bun. I think it's Bunzo. I think, yeah, I think Jessica's right. I think it is Bunzo. Mm. You're outvoted, Brian. <laughs> you know, I just like, you know, it, I almost want to look it up. But how you how do you even begin to look that up? <laughs> Bunny and Kumiko, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Can, but I guess- okay, I, like, so anyway, now that I'm, I'm hung up on the bunny's name. No, sorry. <laughs> um, oh, God. What was I even going to say? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that if. I think that that argument could be made about almost anything. You know, like if your friend tells you a joke and positions it as this is a story that happened to me mm-hmm. and then yeah. you find out that it didn't really happen to him or it happened to a friend of his, but the joke plays better if he tells it in the first person, you know, yeah. you still got that laugh. So if I really loved this movie, I might be able to say like, sure, it's a fraud that has been perpetrated upon us and <laughs> it's it's a, it's a whole thing. That's just like completely made up and it's not real. But like the moments between the people are real. And isn't that enough? Like I, I see that and I cannot and will not argue against its efficacy for you or anyone else who it works for. I just know well, that for me. But, but that thing then, though, isn't it? It's like how you define fraudulent. If you're if if, sure. their, if their intent was to create a real effect in in the people who are who are watching it, people like me, for example, um, then then that's not fraudulent at all. Actually, they they completely you know they set out to do something and they did it. Right, but like you know, just. We, we should it's... elaborate real quick. We've yeah. kind of implied, but we should elaborate fully what, so, what happened yes yeah, so this this yeah movie, tell me tell me what the fuck's going on this movie <laughs> claims to be the a documentary about the last days that's of a dive it. bar yeah. that's about to close down it's like literally the the final opening to closing and it's all the people who are like ah oh, goodbye roaring 20s the truth and it's and it's in las vegas the truth is that it was ex- some exteriors were shot in las vegas the the bar itself is in new orleans it is not closing. None of these people knew each other or were regulars at this place. They were all auditioned. And yeah, but they're from other dive bars. Auditioned, I think, brings a certain like I I, I authenticity again, a hard word to but I, I want to be clear. Like, yes, Michael, for instance, is a former actor. And if you hear what he's saying, it does sound like he is very much actualizing an arc. And I think he's really really good in that sense but like beyond that like i i do want to be clear it's not it's not necessarily actors it's people from dive bars that they would frequent in this constructed space and yeah they are pretending sometimes but they also spent 16 hours together like like two different sessions like yes. i i don't sorry i'm i'm sorry Brian. i didn't mean to i interrupt i think that's I think that's most of the I th- I believe that is most of the I don't understand if you instance. if you get interviewed for a job <laughs> that is on screen is that not an audition do you not claim that to be an audition 
Like these people were selected. They didn't just say this bar is open. Please come in, but be aware you're being filmed. Yes, but I think the thing about audition is it implies a certain, um, I don't know, maybe it's just for me, but that word especially has such a connotation of fiction. And I, I know we could get into fiction and nonfiction, but as apart from that, I just think that, uh, again, as, as Jessica said, like these aren't improvised i mean they're improvised in a way but they're also just conversations that happen with these strangers over this long period and i think when you say audition that gives the sense that they're they're constantly aware of the camera or it's very self-conscious and i don't think we've done quite enough to say how not self-conscious this movie is like i think exactly there's there's a lot that feels very real to me like you know as and and that's yeah i mean i guess that's what i want to talk about and okay but again the my point in saying auditioned is that these are not random people they were selected for this purpose but, but very regular. few very few documentaries feature absolutely random people. I mean, right, but those people are usually at least attached to the story already. Well, but they are. They, they, these people make the story. I mean, because the, 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 the other thing that I kind of want to ask is like when you said before that, you know, this is a film that bills itself as a documentary. But where does it actually bill itself as a documentary? It's only in surround the surrounding noise. It's only in where it was placed in Sundance. It's only in the things that are said about it afterwards. So actually just the film itself if you were to go in and not know anything about this, it it, it doesn't the film itself in itself is not dishonest and it is not, it doesn't, the film doesn't say this is all true. Uh, this is exactly where it's happening. So, so th- this kind of the idea that we're being sold something, you know, wrongly or, or, you know, that there's a false trademark going on is kind of strange to me because the film itself doesn't do that. It's all of the supporting stuff, which maybe we only know about because we're a little bit too involved in, in various industry things and, and festival <laughs> things and, and that kind of stuff. But the actual, just to look at the actual film itself, I think is maybe the more important mm-hmm. thing than to worry about whether or not it should be categorized in one, in one pretty arbitrary and very loosely defined category, increasingly loosely defined category. I, I also want to bring up real quick uh, to go to something, you know, that could be called ob- objective, I guess, another dumb word. Uh, but in the synopsis of the press notes, uh, the language it uses in the shadows of the bright light of Las Vegas, its last call for a beloved dive bar known as the Roaring Twenties. That's the premise, at least. The reality is as unreal as the world the regulars are escaping from. Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is a mosaic of disparate lives, teetering between dignity and debauchery, reckoning with the past as they face an uncertain future, and singing as their ship goes down. And here's where I think uh, it's even more central. Filmmaking duo Bill and Turner Ross return with an elegiac portrait of a tiny world fading away but still warm and beating with the comfort of community. Their beguiling approach to non-fiction storytelling makes for a foggy memory of experience lost in empty shot glasses and puffs of smoke. So that is the press notes synopsis. Um, Yes, there is obviously more about the actual structure within this, but that is what's available 
Um, I, I've seen on a number of festival sites. And the IMDb description is, I think, only one sentence uh, as, as well. Like it kind of uh, condenses that whole idea. Right. Okay. Well, you can hide things in language. Like, I don't know what you, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Like, the fact is that when Let's I look this up, it says documentary. Okay. It says. Any, and then, again, even even putting that aside, like I just uh, we can get it. We can at some point move beyond the question of its artifice or not. Yes. And we can just move into the actual movie, which I did not particularly like that much. Sure. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's it's just it 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 strikes me as odd. And you say, like, well, who like whose fault is it? I don't know. Who the hell is entering it as a documentary? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the League, the FX TV show about a Football fantasy football league was heavily improvised by the actors. Does that mean that it's a documentary? Because like these people, they were hanging out and riffing and some of it worked its way into the show. Like I understand the question around what is the real, what is the false? Like if it's not Aaron Sorkin massaging every word, like couldn't every film be said to be the documentary of what happened on set that day. And that's a very heady stoner thing to say but like for me there's just a certain oddity this to this as, as mumblecore then is that something that would be more accurate for you as a rhetorical question <laughs> uh i mean yeah yeah it, it really does i mean like you know with the snap zooms and the the overlapping dialogue and everything and yeah i mean like it feels very mumblecore it's it's it's, it's super mumblecore <laughs> As we as we determined when talking about California Split earlier this summer, you know, Altman is sort of <laughs> oh, the no. grandfather of Mumblecore. So by comparing it to Altman, I am sort of intrinsically saying that it's a little oh, bit like right. Mumblecore. But but also, I mean, so I, I think I mean, I do think this gets at something kind of interesting, which is just more about like if if you think that a film is a documentary, do you watch it differently? And is that the reason that you you're kind of like because you, you sound actually sort of angry with the movie for fooling you or whatever? But you know, so so that's the thing is like, is there is there a different like filter that we put on, or do we hold documentaries to different standards while we're watching in the process of watching them? Because that's that's a whole other big sort of morass. Uh, um, and it's, it sort of touches a little bit on one of my bugbears, which is where documentary is like considered a genre where it's not a genre. Documentary is like a, an approach to filmmaking, which is equivalently large and, and contains equivalent multitudes to to fiction film, filmmaking. So so I think I mean, it, it does sort of come down to that as well. I mean, if you if just by hearing that something is a documentary, then you put on a different, um, you know, a different pair of glasses to watch it through. I think I have an expectation of some level of reality with the documentary. Clearly, like things like The Imposter, you know, which, which is something that was already brought up, like is is super fun. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's a crazy ass movie. Like that has reenactments. It's got the weird overlapping dialogue thing that they do. It's and you know, it's an unsolved thing. So like at the end of the day, like how much information can it really give you other than to say a bunch of really weird stuff happened? And no one's quite sure why. <laughs> and I mean, it, the, but like, yeah, I, you, I walk in and I think, I also, th- and this is going to sound, this is going to sound rough. I, I give greater leeway to quote unquote performances in a documentary because um, it's a documentary and there's no point at which someone can say, cut, you know, Bob 
can you but take another do. run at that line? But they do. They do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on the documentary. Like, that's they the do, thing. They do it all the time in a documentary. They okay. just don't show it to you. Right. They don't show it to you. But also, like, it, there, there are things... I don't know. I just fucking hated this movie. Like I just, it's like, it's, it's it. And, and because it is so obviously more not a documentary than a documentary, you know, what's the point? And like, yeah, I understand that like during interviews and stuff in documentaries and during certain recreations in documentaries, there might be a difference, but like I've helped to shoot a documentary and there are moments at which you do not have that option, you know, like, sure. so yeah, there, there are things that you have to, just make allowances for. And so I'm giving this movie the benefit of a doubt and the the assurances and leeway that I would give a documentary when I don't. And again, it's not a documentary. It's just not. It's 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 reality TV. It's a bunch of drunk people in a bar having conversations, some of which may touch on like moral truths. I think the scene where Michael says like you know, get out of here. There's nothing worse than someone who could be something and isn't anymore because he's in a bar. Like that's a great moment and a great line. From the one actor, as he, sa- <laughs> as, as he says that to a guy with eyes tattooed on his eyes, <laughs> eyelids, <laughs> and someone wanted to fight the guy with eyes tattooed on his eyelids. That guy's such an asshole. I, the, yeah, the, that guy is. The guy who looks like Elliot Gould. He's the worst. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Once again, going back to California Split, <laughs> exactly, which is the whole Altman thing as well. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's 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 deliberate. I, I mean, he just he looks so like Elliot Gould, sure. and there is so much Altman going on in this, and there are so many other movie references and stuff that I hope we can mm-hmm. get into later. But like, so I, I'm pretty sure that there that that's that was a self aware piece of casting. I think the last thing I want to say to you, and Brian, I hope it doesn't sound like we're we're like uh, bullying you. I just think it's fascinating because I don't think I was even thinking about my own definition of documentary, and and I think it's interesting because um, I think the thing that took me away from the idea of actor was the fact that they watched these people for so long, like at a certain point. Like, it's one thing to improvise, but it's, I, I guess, in, I, I don't know. I guess I can't speak to what the actual process of a lot of mumblecore films or, you know, obviously there's not a uniform one, but there's something, there's something I'm realizing that I can't designate why this is necessarily different yeah i don't know Uh, sorry i i i don't know if anybody had any other uh, any other but i don't think it is i mean i think you're right i think there's like mike lee movies for example where they're largely improvised um although he Mm -hmm. he workshop workshops those before and yet nobody would ever consider to call those a documentary i mean i i I think like the, the point is essentially indefensible if you have a very rigid definition of what a documentary has to be sure it it doesn't it doesn't adhere to most of those traditional rules sure but but like how much those rules are actually useful to us as viewers how much they're useful to us as as film critics but also then to the wider world as viewers i that's that's the question that i think is sort of more germane here actually if 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 the adherence to those rules is one of the things that is making you kind of miserable with this movie maybe just don't adhere to those rules anymore 
Yeah, I, I think there's some of that. And I think it's I think it's odd that I didn't look this up before because I'm, I'm looking at my notes and, and I wrote, you know, some people like this reminded me of the texture of, you know, Andrew Bajalski, for instance. Or, or you know, uh, you know, I obviously wrote down Altman and I was thinking, you know, of someone like Robert Greene or uh, Khalik Allah, like, yeah. you know, so many of these people that have, you know, just kind of already uh, bent the form. So I. I, in some way, I can I can understand that, and especially if if you start feeling like it's it's rambling or or you know like as as Brian said, like it's not it doesn't sound it's not obviously just that uh, identification that bothered him. It, it sounds like a lot of this stuff just felt kind of you know a, a long in the tooth <laughs> for a cliched metaphor. Um, I mean, so at, at a certain point. It's interesting. This is another issue that I had with the screener, which again is not its fault. But since we brought up uh, Mike Lee, I um there was a there was a Ken Loach film earlier this year called Sorry We Missed You, sure. um, which I also watched on a Vimeo screener. And the first time I selected Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, that movie started playing. <laughs> um, and the movie begins with the title cards and everything, and you hear the character's voice. And he's talking about all the jobs he used to hold. And again, expecting a documentary, I was just like, yeah, that sounds like a real person talking. And it's not. It's an actor in a Ken I Loach movie. I need to work out why your Vimeo is haunted. <laughs> another great question. And then at some point I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. I remember this monologue. He's talking to the guy who's going to hire him for the delivery job. I'm on the wrong thing. It was very weird. But so, yeah, I mean, like. There is, you know, there there are people who play with documentary esque filmmaking, sure, in that way, and and that's it's a super effective means of of creating a movie. Like, sorry we missed you. We'll probably end up being on my top ten of the year. Um, I really liked it. Really like most of Ken Loach movies. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, this one I just I wasn't connecting it with it to begin with, and then to find out. That I didn't, it didn't, it didn't even have the shield of, well, what do you want from us? This is what happened at this particular day at this particular bar. And these are the people who are there just made it even less compelling because I was like, you made choices to make this happen. And this is still the best you got. And I'm still not very interested in it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's another problem. And, you know, it made me think of like the Blair Witch Project, which is A, a great film. Yeah, which I, I really liked, and I knew the entire time that it wasn't a documentary, even though, again, it's it's played like a documentary. Oh, for sure. And got... And got and the a... perception around it. Yeah, the yeah. perception around it was like, oh my god, is it really a documentary? Like, they really tried to make it feel like it was for a while. It was um, it was very interesting. And other movies have, have played with that route, and I just don't know why you couldn't make... The, I mean, like, The Office, I well, think, the, was also a documentary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, paranormal activity, right? The first one was kind of yeah. billed as as a little bit of a true story. And even Catfish is like, at a certain point, they knew what was going on. Like, they're not hanging out, finding out things all the way up to the end. Like, that was a big part of that whole that whole thing was like that these guys at a certain point, probably even before they started making this documentary, knew about it. But there was still a certain a certain ineffable quality lended to it by the fact that this was an actual situation that had been stumbled into. And for this to be as manicured and, 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 you know, 
It's the verb of our architecture. <laughs> as constructed? As constructed or drafted as it was. You know, it just it just uh, it just kind of annoyed me. And um yeah, I don't know, especially because I you know, it's just I I really can't say. Like the fact that like they were catching themselves as cameramen in mirrors and stuff. I was like, "Well, yes, because it's a documentary and every once in a while that's going to happen." And I just if it's not, if it is, if it is truly, you know, we're attempting to create our own specific reality you know, Michael, it reminds me of when you had an issue with 1917. And uh, you said that literally everything in that movie just reminded you of the construction of that movie and the fact that it was a single take, but it obviously wasn't. But it's also a really bad movie. I mean, but I, my general opinion, <laughs> I would say the same is true of this. Uh, and I loved 1917. And so there's there's like I am now experiencing what you experienced with that movie. I don't think this movie is particularly good to begin oh with. And I think that the narrative conceit of it only raises more questions and builds more barriers to my possible enjoyment of it because every single second I'm aware of the fact that it's being positioned and or constructed as though it were a documentary even though it is not a documentary and that's that's just something that bugged me the whole time after I I figured it out I think that's fair and I I think to you know at, at the at the risk of drawing too big of a or excuse me uh throwing too big of a, a net here i can't help but but think of you know i already mentioned robert green and uh kate plays christine was it was a film that we pretty strongly disagreed about a few years ago and that is in you know it, it is very much an exercise it's up front about the fact it's an exercise but i think um as much as i really like this film and i i do think that there is something real in here whatever that means i think in a way it all is also you know it, it's not academic <laughs> it's people hanging out in a bar and i, I don't feel like it's you know it, it feels almost weird to call this like high concept even though I, I i i guess it is in a way but um i mean is it is is this feels super low concept to me but it's but it's still okay. It's low concept, but it it's it's fastidiously uh, you know thought of. I, I don't know. Constructed even feels like a weird word. I, I apologize. I am just going in circles by the end of a sentence because I'm <laughs> realizing I don't totally agree with my previous statement. Um, I don't know. I guess this is just to say that I, I think that I, I find a lot of value in these rhetorical ideas, even if this was actually entirely improvised or not improvised, but scripted or was um, mumblecore, but presented as documentary, I wouldn't really been bothered at all. Um, like if, if this had even like further sworn, like that this was fealty to the moment <laughs> or anything. Um, so I, Again, I think that's so much of my view of even the most journalistic, and I say that with air quotes, documentaries has just been already broken down from any any sense of of real. You know, even something like Frederick Wiseman, who, you know, as, as far as I know, originated fly on the wall reporting. Like there's still a sense that he's very clearly curating what edited sequences he wants to show and 
put you in that in that moment. So I, I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the end of uh, the talk of form, and, and maybe we should get more into the actual get more into the actual film. Yeah, because I think I mean we, we, this is all talking about what it's not, and I don't think we've really talked about what it is. I think that's I think that's totally fair. The movie about people at a bar. <laughs> I am I'm willing to cede to anyone else the floor right now because I don't believe that I would do justice to this movie by describing what it is. Or like you know, if if you all liked it, like which parts did you like? What about it did you like? You know, what what connected with you in a way that made its unclarity about its own origin not matter? I think I think one thing that's interesting is that this reminded me of like your last days of college or, you know, um, maybe even high school or, or a lot of these things. Basically, we have lost you. I think your mic might be disconnecting or something. Oh, no. We've got dead air, people. That's fine. This isn't going out live. We can edit it. It's a documentary. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is a documentary podcast from uh, the Rux Brothers. This podcast is indeed a documentary. This is all real, what's happening right now. Well, everything is a documentary of its own making. So, you know. Yeah. All right. Uh, I totally agree with that. But I will I, I will pick up. I, I want to hear what uh, what Bill was saying. And, and I, I would piggyback that, like, I very much agree that this did very much remind me as much as my time going to like, you know, friends, water holes and, and stuff. It's, it's always fun to go somewhere and then just see where someone's a regular. Uh, it's just such a different experience. But like it, this does very much have like the last days of high school, college, you know, like a, a, a link later feel. Um, I, I still find it strange that I keep going back to fiction filmmakers, but uh <laughs> Bill, do we have you back? Hello. Not really. <laughs> not, not quite, no. Okay. Well, what, what I was going to say, though, is I, I think that um, wh- what I like so much about this is just how how recognizable it is to kind of the arc. I mean, we're, we're very clearly shown a demarcation of the time of day, uh, literally with a clock and with these little uh, chapter titles. Um, and, and, you know, like it, it's kind of interesting Hello? how it's kind of Bill, Do we have you again? Uh, am I back? You are back. Yes. yes. You're back. Woo! All right. Okay. Bill, the last right. thing we we're saying was this reminded you of end of high school, end of college. Yeah. So, I mean, where basically people are just trying to take their, their shot. Right. We see a lot of like potential people trying to hook up uh, one asshole just picking fights with everybody. Um, just it, people really kind of laying it all out there. Um, you know, it, particularly that scene with uh, I think it's Michael um, or no, uh, the 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 long haired ZZ top looking dude. Um, uh, and multiple. Uh, <laughs> Yes, well, um, sure. n- n- not the bartender. The Australian um, guy. No, no, no. ZZ Top. <laughs> the long hair. The guy yeah. who looks like, uh, wait, who's that? I'm, wait. I'm trying to get names in front of us. Is it Einstein? Uh, no, not Einstein. <laughs> no, that sounds right. Uh, not, okay. Anyway, what does he say? Yeah, please. 
<laughs> well, like he's talking with uh, the, <laughs> the woman that flashes her tits. Um, I can't remember any of these. I think that's people's Pam. names. Pam. Yeah. Her name is Pam. Pam. Is woman. Of yes. course it's Pam. What else could it be? But- <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, and they're they're just having this conversation about uh, he he lost his wife recently and she lost her ah, right. son. Yeah. And like they're just having this like full on conversation. And it's funny because like they know each other outside of this location. So like because he very much like visits her uh over where she's like living and staying and and like even the fact that like all these people still live in whatever location that they're having right um it's not like people are going anywhere necessarily although a lot of people are talking about like oh you know i'm i'm gonna get the fuck out of here and like uh i think both bartenders even mentioned that and then there was <laughs> i love that there's like a cutaway randomly to someone uh talking about like cruises and stuff like that and i was just <laughs> like what the fuck is going on right now um but yeah the tv is great Yes, yes I, I really appreciate that. But yeah, I, I just feel like this this reminds me so much of like when you have that kind of going away party or stuff like that and people are finally like saying their piece or or kind of, you know, shooting their shot or whatever it may be. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's also that that notion of like it because it, it is all about endings, right? So it's just about everything's ending. And so – it's the ending of the bar, obviously. It's the ending of all of these sort of temporary relationships. It's the ending of the night. But then it's also like the the original barman guy. He's he's the one who says like Vegas is over. It's like it's lost all its soul. Celine Dion can have it. I'm I'm <laughs> moving on. Um, so it's just all about these endings. And I think that in a weird way, this has also given it for me anyway. It it has given it added poignancy because. Uh, especially when I watched it, which was just at the beginning of my particular lockdown. Um, and it seemed to give me a glimpse at uh, at, a, at a, a completely recognizable to me um, uh, evening. I mean, I have been in that bar, I feel like. I have been every single one of those people. Maybe not the 60-year-old woman who flashes her tits. Maybe not Pam. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I'm not Pam. But um, <laughs> I mean, I can't say I haven't been either. Uh, but uh, so uh, the fact that it was also it also now or looking at it with with our with our pandemic eyes now, it, it also seems to be about the end of a kind of bar culture that is probably not. I mean, bars here in Berlin are open again and I have been back to them and, and it is lovely to go back and they are still the same places, but it is a bit different and everyone is slightly different than they were before. So I think that there's like uh, so many, so there's, there's so, such a sense of so many things ending in the film already. And then this, its timeliness has also added on this extra layer. Yeah, I, I I very much agree, and and, and I think um, yeah, it, it's not only that I that I found it uh, I, it had this great tinge of of melancholy that, that and, and poignancy that you're speaking of, um, Jessica. But it, I think it also I I like how it stays away from some of the the kind of 
easy things that you're going to you're going to focus on in a bar like I I don't think you know there are a couple nuggets of wisdom you know we've already spoken of that moment where uh you know Michael talks to the um musician who's giving acid to people in the bar apparently but um, yes <laughs> um you know we've already spoken about that but then there's you know a lot of unintelligible like very you know drunk philosopher you know bullshitting you know you you have the you know you have the well you have multiple generations of of vets i believe uh you know you have the um the older man um the older man who you know is talking about this and and bruce i think Yes, thank you. all And I, I cannot. I swear, I meant to write it down, but he keeps making this joke, like heap, uh, heap sees nothing. A few seem, but it's like this nonsensical phrase that becomes yeah. like this mantra of like wisdom. And, and I kind of like how this this movie doesn't really. It doesn't really direct you to like or signpost you to these ideas. Like it's. It's special to me in the fact that, like, one of the greatest communal feelings in the bar is when they're all watching Jeopardy (laughs) and getting it wrong. Like, that was that was uh, painful to watch because I was remembering that literally right before quarantine out out with a friend and how I didn't know anybody in this bar. But Jeopardy was on and we were all playing. Um, and, and actually, Bruce's joke, just to say there as well, the the that that scene where where Bruce is telling the joke or he's trying to tell the joke. Yes. What, what's particularly sort of moving about that is that he he's trying to get at something sort of profound and confessional, but everybody else at the bar gets hung up on the fact that he's mispronouncing the word "few." Few. That's right. And, and so he can't even get it out, and he can't communicate. So because so, so much of the film is about like these sort of like sudden like fountains of communication that you pockets of communication that you come across where you're suddenly somebody's best friend, you know, in one of those situations. But there's also total failures of communication all the way through it as well. And I think it walks that line really well, neither glamorizing nor demonizing any of these people or their interactions. Yeah, I I think it's totally right, too, that, you know, you come back to, uh, you know, like the time switches and you're realizing, oh, two people who are never talking (laughs) having a heart to heart. And that's that's so perfect because there's been, you know, so many nights when you're in a bar and you're like, wait, how did I end up talking to this person for an hour and a half? I have no idea how we how we got here. And and I just think again that certain you know, even if it's spontaneity in the perfect possible conditions, like I, I still think that stuff really works so or you know for instance how the bartender talks to her son (laughs) and she kind of knows that he's getting drunk she you know she kind of knows he's high and every and everything but also like that certain you know where where she's like he's he's a good kid like like there's such a good undercurrent there I, I, I love the scene where she smells his breath, even though like he's he's like, no, nah, I'm I'm eating beef jerky. And she's like, let me smell your breath. And he like full on like breeze into her nose and she just sits there and she thinks about it. And I was just like, that must be so disgusting <laughs> to like smell. But that's such like a that's such a parent but in this particular case a mom move right like it's it's like i'm gonna smell your breath and i'm gonna look and just see if i can smell those hints of alcohol or smell those hints of weed 
or whatever, you know. Um, wise choice there. Uh, I would have cho- chosen Fritos personally, but uh, yeah, beef jerky's a solid play there. Yeah, I, I have to say though, it's it's weird because I mean, as much as I, uh, as I say, love this movie, um, the one thing that I don't love about it, and the one area where it did lose me a bit, and where the the whole sorry, but the whole fiction nonfiction thing rears sure. its ugly head again, is with the kids. Um, with the kids out back and that was the point at which um, I felt that it was whatever I mean however it adheres to whatever outside idea of documentary fealty we we have but it, it in in the, that moment it felt like it broke its own rules it broke its own internal logic a little bit because I was suddenly very aware then that that this was absolutely that that, that there wasn't um, this wasn't spontaneously happening. Like the fact that we just catch them while they're doing the stealing of the booze and everything, mm. that all of that felt very narrativized to me in a way that the rest of it didn't. And and maybe also because they're teenagers and they're less convincing human beings in general. <laughs> teenagers are terrible. Um, their interactions didn't feel quite as unforced and as authentic as the other interactions inside in the bar. So so that's that's one area in which I I actually kind of I I which I which I don't, which is basically the one thing I really, I didn't like about the film was, was, was the kids. I thought that was a particularly weak point as well. So Mm. I, I, you could tell with the CCTV that, you know, there is a certain, uh, the fact that, you know, um, I I think you could make an argument that the editing is trying very, uh, very hard to not make that as narrativized as it yeah. is in the fact that the CCTV, you know, shows the cameraman outside uh, yeah. as they're, you know, shooting the fireworks. And um, I like when, yeah. the, uh, speaking of that, I, I love when the... I um, love this, the CCTV bit, though. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the fireworks look so look so cool on that. Um, no, it's actually the, the, the CCTV bit inside. I think that's, if, if I have like a favorite scene or a favorite shot in the whole film, I think it's when it suddenly goes to CCTV and I think it's also because the CCTV footage is black and white and mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, ugly, you know, and the rest of the film is so aestheticized and it's so pretty, like under those fairy lights and everybody's lit in pink and red and and it's it's sort of romantic in a way. And then suddenly it cuts to this quite clinical, ugly CCTV aesthetic, black and white. And you see the bar empty for the first time as well. And, and you yeah. suddenly realize that when it's not lit with these twinkling fairy lights, it's actually kind of a grim place when it's empty of people and empty of lights and empty of color. It's just sort of this grim box of a place. And then there's that high uh, angle and then it just looks down and, and it's only Michael left at the bar and it's Michael mm-hmm. standing at the bar. And because I'm a nerd, I do, I recognized immediately the piece, the, the, the thing that's playing on the TV. I don't even know if you can see the TV, but you can hear a snatch of it. And it's from the misfits, which, oh, okay, wow. fine. I mean, in any other situation, I think would be way ridiculously on the nose. I mean, <laughs> Misfits, and this is a movie about endings, and the Misfits is maybe the, the the greatest American movie about, or not maybe the greatest, but certainly a movie that is so desperately about endings, and it's set in Nevada, and it's all of those things. But even, and even the line that just happens to be playing there, I think it's it's Eli Wallach saying to Marilyn Monroe something like, "You have a gift for life, Rosalind." But the rest of us are just looking for a place to hide. And so all of this stuff, I mean, the the fact that it all 
that and that's just there i mean you can you can know that mm. if you're a uber nerd like me or not but there is something so sweet about that shot and so sad about that shot of him there by himself when it's been so crowded and so colorful before and he's just there by himself in black and white like a ghost haunt like the only like the spirit of the place um anyway i love that scene <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. You mentioned that because I I had that same sensation you're referring to, actually with the ending photos, because mm. the photos uh, it gave such a. I, I mean, it just reminded me of you know you see photos of all these great nights that you you know maybe you did live or didn't live or you know even when you go into a bar you see all those photos, and like oh I wasn't there that night but that looked like a good night, and like all of. All of the photos, you know, they have a clarity and lucidity that nothing yeah. of those moments had. <laughs> and they're also terrible. Like, the photos are terrible, the way photos of those nights always are. Like, everybody has red eye, and everyone's all blanched <laughs> out from the flash, and, and the background is in darkness, and everyone's pulling weird faces. Yeah, they're great. Uh, Brian, I'm I'm a little uh, curious. I swear I'm not going to ask you any more about form, but I'm just I'm just wondering. I mean, did this make you uh, think uh, about any experiences in a bar? Do you think this did a good or bad job uh, evoking, you know, dive bars you've been in or anything like that? So there's there's a well known idiom or analogy that people deploy all the time, which is being the only sober person somewhere. <laughs> sure. And that's what this movie is. You're the only sober person. I've never been the only sober person anywhere. (laughs) Like, I hate bars until I'm in it and have downed like seven shots of whiskey. Oh, for sure. Then a bar bar is the best place on earth. But like the, the, you know, and this whole movie is, is me not being able to drink at the bar. Um, so yeah, and also, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I could have done it. Um, but then how, I probably would have ended up like you if, own a distillery. <laughs> yes. Also true. Um, I, and and I've recently been like trying to teach myself like more cocktails so that I can make stuff. So yeah, I would have been a great option. Though I don't feel like anyone in this bar was ordering anything like fancy. You know, like I don't think Ricky, I saw. Ricky comes in. Ricky, the the the. Uh, I think she's trans. Yes. Um, comes in at one point and she says she demands a juicy cocktail. <laughs> yes. Everyone else we is like, what she's got though. <laughs> what she's given. Everyone else is just like, I don't know. I guess this is probably my cup. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean like, like I said, like aesthetically it reminded me of like two different places that I know, um, in Houston, a couple in DC, but like, I don't know. Like I, it's, um, I think the, the part that rang that rang clearest for me was towards the end when Michael says that line that I already said, which is like, "There's nothing more get the fuck out of here," yeah. Then somebody and like that, but that's this entire movie. Why am I spending time with these people? Like, what what am I doing here? I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel almost like it, this is such like an obvious first idea for something, which is just like, what if we just like tracked a bar the whole day through and we saw all the people getting drunk, but like, there's a reason that movies about alcoholics, like show us people struggling outside in their daily lives before they take us to the bar. Like this is just at a certain point I was like, Oh my Christ, I get it. Like, but that's, but I, that's exactly what I love about this, that it doesn't do that. I, I mean, just, every, I found, you're right. Everything else does. Yeah. I just found no, like there was nothing for me to hold on to in this because like, yeah, I've been to bars. I've had better nights 
than these people. Like, this feels like the kind of movie that would be made by someone for someone who'd never been in a bar. Like, like this oh, is I how, like, oh, so. like, you know, there are people out there who, who don't have country clubs. You know, did you know that? There are people out there who don't have craft Manhattan speakeasies. Do you want to see how they live? Like, it feels... No, perverse. You are honestly offending my Irish spirit right now. <laughs> but that's the thing is, I'm these people. Like I'm out there, and I don't find it interesting because it's it is such an easy thing to live. That like, it, and that's why I'm saying like this movie feels like someone who just found out that something called a dive bar might exist and wants no. to go and see it because they find it to be a curiosity. And I just like it's not enough for me. I've lived those d- nights and days. I have literally spent 13 hours in a bar before. But and it's an I easy have... thing to live. I think it's a hard thing to capture on film. I think very few films have captured that on film. And so that's the thing. I think you're right. It is an easy thing to live. And it's something that we're all familiar with in, in certain ways. And But yet this is like one of the first and only times I've really seen it portrayed exactly the way it happens. Right. But like, I guess, again, my my like for me personally, like how why would I ever want that? Like, what what am I gaining from this that I haven't already gained from having lived that experience? And, you know, there's nothing here that I haven't experienced personally before. There's and it's not it doesn't feel novel. It doesn't feel particularly insightful to me. You know, it's 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 as though I went to a bar, was refused any service and then just got to hear people talk about all the good times they've had at this bar. And it's just like, I don't, I didn't, I just, you know, I was kind of willing to let it slide again when I thought like, oh, this is just a picture of the economic downturn sacrificing a part of the local character of Las Vegas. But to find out that this was like an idea people had that they crafted this scenario, it's like, well, this is like, make it more interesting. (laughs) Do something with this. I just, I, again, I just, I just hadn't, there was nothing, there was nothing for me in this movie. It just like, there was just something so, so pointless and so lost in having to sit there and watch all of this and, and to, to wonder like, what, what, like, do the people involved in the making of this feel like they're giving some like grand insight into the common man? Like what, like, what did they... What was their opinion of themselves as they were making this? And it just, Are you even interested in what they would actually say? Yeah, probably. Do you know it? No, I, no I, I'm just curious because I think some people would say no. So I, I, I didn't know I, if you meant I'm that always, as a rhetorical or something you wanted. No, like, yeah, my, my, whole, my whole life is being curious about people's motives. Like, I hate, you know, you know when you have a friend who comes to you and is like, did you hear that Vivian stabbed Jared? And you're like, oh my God, why? And then they just say, oh, I don't know. What good are you in your gossip if you're not going to f- ask the most logical <laughs> next question? Vivian and Jared have been married for six years. What did he do? This is oddly specific, Brad. <laughs> I, I just, I'm trying to come up with something. I like, this happens to be like once every two months as a friend is like, oh, did you hear that? Like, you know, I'm trying to think I keep trying I keep trying to come with names and I keep coming to Michael and Bill which is (laughs) thank you (laughs) you know Travis Travis burned his house down it's like why did he do that oh I don't know well what where is he living now oh I don't know like are you basically lost as to curiosity for these things so of course I'm curious to know like what these guys thought they were doing here but like 
you know, it, it almost, it just, it just, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to make me like the movie more. Okay. It might remove some of my cynicism because again, it just feels like a super exploitative, like very, you know, let's turn the camera on these, you know, like there's something so classically artist about like, what I really want to do is get in touch with the common man, you know, the, the the ninety nine percent who are in the dirt who work at a factory you know who got dirt under their nails like those are the stories I want to tell. It's like all right, John think, Updike, like let's let's calm down a little bit. I I don't I don't think that's particularly fair in this case. If all of us, I mean, if those of us who like the film can see ourselves in it, and I I don't think it's condescending to the people in it at all. I think that's one of the things that I really liked about it is that it does show both the allure, like there is there is something incredibly cozy and and lovely about having a local. If if you've had a local, then you know that that kind of sense of safety. And it's kind of, it's almost like a childish thing, but you, but you can, you can sort of be anybody, you can say anything and you know that you'll also, it's kind of a Looney Tunes reset the next time you come back. <laughs> well, right. Cause you know, friends. making your way in the world today takes everything you got yeah, and exactly. getting away from all your troubles sure would help a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and but that's but that is one of the things that it is. It is about about why we go to bars, and and I don't think I've seen it um, portrayed in such a, a way that makes me um, both sort of you know ashamed as I probably should be, but also <laughs> oddly proud of of my locals and of the relationships I have had and the nights I have had in locals, many of which are very patchily remembered at this stage, but still. That that even even that patchiness, there's there's a kind of uh, uh, there's a nobility to what these people are doing together, and it's it's not it, it is entirely to me not exploitative because of that because we we I, because certainly I relate to them on such an eye to eye level. I don't I don't look down on them. I, I think I think that well, they're people like that- me. I don't think that we, the audience, look down on them, but I feel as though it's possible that the the makers of this movie might. Like, I mean, like I said, I see a shit ton of myself and my friends and the strangers who became friends and the friends who became strangers that, uh, you know, <laughs> from all of my trips to the bars in Houston back during my like heaviest drinking days, um, I see that all over this movie. But like just seeing myself reflected in something is not enough to make me feel like it's a good thing. You know, really? I don't. What was that? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, no. Who gives a shit? Like that's not what's important to me. Something that accurately, I mean, if fictionally or however we want to categorize it, like really accurately captures the ebb and flow of something that I have only ever experienced in real life. I think is is inherently of value as a film. I mean, that's how I feel about like Manchester by the Sea. But like for whatever reason, I don't feel you like your this. Wife? No, um, I have a lot of survivor's guilt over the death of a friend that I feel I could have prevented and I wanted oh. to kill myself and was kept from doing so. Okay. And I, it's one of those things where like when people ask me about it, I just say, I just can't beat this thing. And then I, you know, turn around and walk down a hill. Um, so so like that's like, yeah, I see that representation of myself and I go, oh, isn't it nice to know that someone gets that? But then I see this movie and I'm just like, yeah, people get drunk at bars. <laughs> like it there's there there does not to me feel as though there is a lot beyond the surface aesthetic of what they're talking about here. Like it just and it just never it, you know, again, as as someone who's felt the way that uh Casey Affleck's character in Manchester by the Sea felt, I felt not 
represented but understood. And this movie only made me feel represented. Mm. Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, hmm. I, 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 yeah, sorry, go on. Go, no, go ahead, Jessica, please. Um, no, I'm, I just, I, I think that, that it, because it, I, for me, it both represents and it tells the story of those nights in a way that I have not seen before. And that in itself gives it value. I, because also, I mean, genuinely the experience of those nights is patchy and it is strangely glitchy. And, and I like the way that the editing works where the, where sometimes like the, the time concertinas, like sometimes you're in like what seems like four minutes for about like five hours or something. And, you know, the, the next cut or the next um, title that comes up tells you that so many hours have passed, but actually you haven't felt those past. That, like the way that it plays with time is very similar to me, I think, th- to the way time passes when you're drunk. Um, and I actually even got into this sort of thing where I was thinking about it uh, just earlier. And, and because you know, what what you're saying about like with the Manchester by the sea comparison, for example, is like, you know, this is, you feel understood by, you feel like there's a kind of, there's a why there that you don't feel here. But I I think Mm. the why here is like, why do people go and get drunk? Why, why do we do that so often? And why do we have nights like this? If they're actually ultimately kind of meaningless and, and sort of empty nights. And I think by, portraying this night in in you know as constructed a manner as possible as it is they somehow managed to get a little bit at the why of it because there is simultaneously there's this melancholic undertow of course but there is also joy in it there is also connection that is that that happens and it may be ephemeral but it is meaningful in that moment and so for me the film is meaningful in all of those moments and that's, I mean, I can't argue against that because it's, it's your opinion and film mm-hmm. is a, is a very personal medium. I, I can just say that I didn't feel that I, um, I didn't feel any joy. There was no point when I was like, ah, yes, that's why I go to bars. Cause this whole thing almost felt like a giant after school special about the danger of bars. <laughs> there's Weird. just, there's nothing, huh. it, they're never really, I never felt it like, and again, maybe that's just because like I'm sober. If I was there, maybe I would have been having a grand old time. Um, another movie that talking about like aesthetics and and editing and things that make you feel something. I mean, uh, Good Time was another time that I felt like <laughs> something was. My life is a shambles. Um, good time is another time that I felt like I felt my life represented in a way that had a why behind it because the structure of the movie really put into perspective the panic and the uncertainty of a night gone out of control like that. And I think that the documentary nature of this movie makes it more difficult to 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 get into that because it is it's just it's just a fly on the wall and and all that does is make everything feel very alien and 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 uh, i don't want to use the word gross to mean like icky but gross is in like grotesquery gross is in big mm. I, Jessica, I'm, I'm I am curious because you have you've mentioned it a few times, and I, I guess I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. But I'm just what is a, a recent or or, or general uh, portrayal of um, bars that you think does a bad bad job? Just just as a counterpoint, 
Um, well, I can. Hmm, yeah, I, I know. I'm it. sorry. A huge question. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just <laughs> curious. Honestly, it's because I don't, I, because I, I, I really, I, I can't, I mean, I think almost any time I, I can think of maybe a couple from ages ago that sort of do it quite like, I think Trees Lounge does it quite well, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. pretty old by now. Um, that's uh, and, and, and portrayals specifically, not so much even of bars, but of drunkenness. I think that Hong Sang Su is one of the few uh, directors who, yes. who, who, who so creates yes. really, really good <laughs> drunken scenes and relatably drunken scenes in which his uh, actors, I think, probably are drunk. That I think that <laughs> there is something to me genuinely, honestly refreshing about watching people be drunk on screen and not act drunk on screen. Um sure. Uh, and I think I do think that that's in for me as well one of the ways that this creates its own sense of again I'm really sorry to say it but like documentary truth or whatever <laughs> is in 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 those moments of that are absolutely to me 100% authentic. So oh yeah, did so we even- did we make clear that these people are actually drunk? <laughs> That feels like it would have been an important. So if anyone is still listening and doesn't know that, yes, these people are drinking. <laughs> these people are drunk. I mean, and I think you also you can and you can tell it from from their their conversations. I mean, I, I'm I'm I know I'm sort of fudging your 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 question, Michael, because I can't. I really no, okay. can't think of very many that do it right or that that don't have some sort of puritanical aspect or some sort mm. of sanctimonious aspect or some sort of thing of like, well, you know, here's a because often in in I find in Hollywood movies, especially like when you see somebody sitting at a bar taking a drink, that is literally a signal that they are alcoholics. Like there's no there's no middle ground. There's no we go we we why we go here. We go here for camaraderie and for comfort. And maybe it is because nowhere else will have us, which is one of the things that I think Bruce says at one point. Yeah. This is where we go where don't nobody else want us or something. Mm-hmm. Um but but like to 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 zone in exactly on that um on that uh, um, uh, desire to to find, however temporarily, to find comfort, um, and there's there's loads of little things in the film that 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 does that that, that do that where, where they're talking about simultaneously. I think about how kind of pathetic it is, but also how human it is to want to do that, those things. There's even like. Um, the asshole guy, Elliot Gould, um, when he's when he's reading his poem thing or his speech thing, which is really terrible and like is all over the place and is very self-aggrandizing anyway. But at one point he uses the word oubliette to describe the the bar, which I just think is so that's so, such a weird word to drop in there anyway. But like so an, an oubliette is like a, is a dungeon with one with one place that you can come in and out or out of. But it's also even the word, the word itself is from forgetfulness is from the French for, for to forget. So and this is a place where where not only people go to forget, but it's also where the forgotten people go. So if we have, you know, an hour and a half of remembering a night that none of them are going to remember probably, and that is a bunch of sort of forgotten people or or lost people or whatever coming together. Then again, I think that that itself justifies the existence of the film. Yeah, no, I I, I mean I very much agree, but I, uh, I I I understand how you know these certain 
qualifications could uh, make it difficult, you know, beyond whether you enjoy it or not. But I, I mean, whether this got confrontationally antagonistic, antagonistic in any way, I do think it's really interesting the whole idea of representation versus understanding. As uh, that's, I, it really does seem like you know, I, I I'm not going to say normies or anything, but people who are not you know super into film they often want to see themselves reflected that's their greatest interest uh, you, you know i mean not to go to things like audience scores and things like that but so many things that that you know uh hit the general public the wrong way are things that are about incredibly unlikable people <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> ryan mentioned something like good time which you know like I, I, yeah, I'll I be clear again. I'm not happy that I see a lot of myself and my friends in good time. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I made the mistake of recommending that to a few people who were not uh, big into films and, and they were kind of mad. At me. <laughs> so I mentioned that because I, I think that they're I, I think that's a, a weird question uh, for film critics to ask as, as much as it is for the average person uh to ask because personally that's something to speak of myself i have never gravitated towards particularly films that i felt like i saw a deep sense of myself in um like that's uh, my personal canon or anything like that isn't really about that so maybe in a way something of this conversation is a little bit it's a little like academic (laughs) to me in in an odd way you know, because I'm I'm a robot, as as has been uh, discussed a number of times on this uh, podcast. Um, but it, yeah, that that is all to say that you wouldn't. It, documentaries aren't usually processed this way. Is is I guess uh, the the more productive way to say why I think this was a you know good conduit for conversation, in a way. And crickets. <laughs> I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of like movies that I've seen that have been like, oh, that's not how a bar works. <laughs> I'm still pondering that question because I too feel like I, I I see movies, but maybe more or less it's like television shows. It's it's not it's even, I don't maybe think less less about the about the bar itself than about people people drinking and and yeah. I think that there's uh, often there's a level of judgment or something around why people are drinking or why they're there. There's always sort of a reason, certainly in narrative films, why somebody goes into a bar and orders a drink, certainly if they're by their, themselves or whatever it is. So it's just, yeah, that I mean, it's less about the portrayal of the bar, I think, than the portrayal of the characters. And yeah. here, this film, I think the characters, I think you understand the characters whether or not you, I mean, well, I'm, you've already said that you didn't get the understanding, whatever. But but I think that I understand them and I like them all. Um, in And I, I don't feel that they're being judged by the filmmakers and I certainly don't judge them myself. I don't, I don't know I think, that, I don't know if it's judgment. I do feel as though it's like a kind of put on morbid curiosity that I find to be... I, I'm not Weird. saying that there isn't a certain like there is certainly a type of filmmaker where you could read yeah. into a certain bourgeois voyeurism. But I think you do have to make the jump to think that, for instance, the Ross Brothers 
don't also feel like one of these mm. one of these people. So I, I guess that's where my hesitance with some of this stuff goes. And no, I, I really do feel some of that certain certain thing you are talking about it. I, I feel that sometimes in documentaries, generally, Brian, I didn't feel it here personally, but I, I very much see where you're coming from. Right, and I'm, I'm, I'm in no way saying that I know or feel that that is what they were doing, but it's definitely how it played to me. And I sure. think me being outvoted in that feeling says that that's <laughs> not what the movie was going for, but that is still how I felt watching it and looking at it. We can't vote down your feelings, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to I, I, I want to mention one last thing in terms of the bar. I, I think you could make an argument, Jessica, that uh, the bar itself is immediately an arena. Like it doesn't have the romanticism of a party. It, it doesn't have, you know, you think of so many other venues where they are drinking and you go into a bar and it's so often like – you know, even for people who are underage or something like, you know, this is supposed to be a rite of passage sneaking into a bar. And it's immediately like, you know, look at the regular who looks like he hasn't slept 12 hours in, in two days. Like, it, um, it, it reminded me a lot of the bar in uh, The Way Back. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, I really liked it. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's coming from me. <laughs> Who doesn't like uh, the films of Gavin O'Connor? Um, me. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that no. For me, that movie is a lot of um, all. All the scenes in the bar struck me as like very true because again, that is that is like mm. a dive bar. Uh, everyone's drinking and having a good time, and it's literally it's literally not until someone tries to stand up that you realize how far gone they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, which yeah. is something that I'm used to. You're sitting there, everyone's laughing. I don't know if anyone's actually <laughs> spoken in the last ten minutes. You know, sure. but you're all just having a great time. And then someone's like, Hey, uh, I think it's time for you to go. And you're like, yeah, I should get out of here. And you stand up and you just fall over and you're like, Hey, it's fine. That's what happens when you go to or, the bathroom. Or somebody too. comes out, with, sorry. Or somebody comes out with something that is like weirdly profound, which you weren't expecting, you know, yeah. cause you've all, well, everybody's been, you know, barstool philosophizing and, you know, solving the middle East crisis or whatever it is that we do in the, in these things. And then, Someone will just come out with one thing. And I, I mean, again, I think that's one of the things that they really get, especially in the in the character of Michael. I mean, he is I, I think he's just a tremendous character because um, he's he's so he's obviously so smart, but he's obviously so wasted um, in mm. in all senses of the word. Um, and there's like three or four things that he says There's a couple of things that I think Bruce says. But like of the things that Michael said, we've already touched on one of them, I think. But then. He says something like, as well, I, I, I pride myself on not having become an alcoholic until after I was already a failure. Yeah, and I like, ruined my that, life sober and then I came to you. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And that, 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 one, that one like comment already kind of gives me all of the backstory that I need to have about this guy. And then there's another moment where he's like, he could very easily, I think, have become this sort of sentimental creature. This again, this sort of the embodiment of this bard, just as it's closing, and he's its its most you know loyal customer, and and basically it's it's the ghost that haunts its its bar. But um, then he at one point somebody says like you know you're like family to me, and he says. I'm not family. That's such an overused word. Um, I'm a stranger talking to you at the bar. And he gets kind of angry and shirty with the guy for for using the word family. So like there's so many uh, 
um, av- uh, turns that this could have taken or avenues that it could have gone down to be a more sentimental um, uh, piece of work than it is. And then the, actually the, the biggest one for me, um, which I, I'm surprised that people didn't make more of, but, but that is one of the very last things that Michael says, which I think is so fucking sad. Like it's the saddest it's, and if anything, if the Ross brothers do anything kind of merciless or, uh, not yeah. exploitative, I don't think, but, but merciless in it, it's, it, it's in leaving us with, with this from Michael, which is where, you know, he's been asleep and then he, uh, Shay, the barmaid comes over and wakes him up and, um, and he's, you know, he has to go and it's four o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. And she says something like, are you okay to drive? Yes. And one of the last things that he says is, oh, you don't, you don't know me at all. And like that whole thing, like that, the fact that we have just been through this whole night of ebbs and flows and like he's been, he was hitting on Ricky and he was, you know, having his heart to hearts with Pete, the guy with the eyes tattooed on his eyelids and all of those <laughs> things. And, then, and and this is supposed to be some sort of climax. There's been fireworks and cake and everything. And this is the last night of the place that he feels most at home in the world. And the last, practically the last thing he says is, oh, like, you don't know me at all. None, like, none, and everybody's gone. That is that is the saddest thing. And if anything that they do, anything that the directors do is kind of um, unforgivable in a way, it's it's leaving us with that. He, they could have they could have chosen any other out point to leave us with Michael, but, but sure. it's that. Well, what's um, weird think, to me yeah. about Michael in that way is that it's um he all those moments except like the the you're not my family i'm a guy in a bar and then that ending part are the moments that felt the most artificial to me because like i i just yeah i've never met anyone who who acted that way um just talking about like you know how this movie makes us think of times where we have been in bars or you know the bars that we've gone to and stuff like that like uh, that feels like such a constructed narrative moment of like subversion. Mm, like to have I, someone say like, Hey, you're like family. And then to have the person suddenly become like soberly chastising of that statement just felt like very unnatural to me. I feel like, I feel like we do. Oh, shit. <laughs> Bill? Hello, Bill. Hello. <laughs> Bill, you sound like you're very far away from the microphone. Uh, I'm right on top of it, so it's slightly better. <laughs> Hold on, Bill, just yell. No, please don't yell. Hello. Hello. Better? Yeah, it's better. Okay, Jesus Christ, I'm getting a new microphone, anyways. Um, yeah, no, I I feel like people say that kind of shit all the time, where they they're just observers because Michael at this point not Snydell, uh, has been kind of listening to all of this family talk. And finally he's just like, nah, that's fucking bullshit. Like you're not my family. (laughs) And like, I feel like that happens. I feel like that definitely happens. Uh, maybe not at a bar. Um, you know, I haven't heard that at a bar, but I've definitely heard it at friends parties and places like that where there are random people just there a, um, th- that brings me to an interesting question. Have you ever found that there's more of a chance of violence at just a party than a bar? <laughs> like, there's more animosity at parties? 
Mm, I mean, people people are on their shit at at parties because they know each other, right? There's background, there's history usually. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this guy, the guy that's picking the fight in in that bar, um, that guy's just you know looking for to pick that fight because he knows these people as well. So, I mean, he's definitely there doing that because he knows them. Um, probably also because he knows that they're not going to, you know, take him up on his offer because they know he's a dumbass. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy, the guy offering to fight people felt very real to me. It was the, um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> I've never been that guy, but it. I've, I've had to deal with that guy. Both as like an opponent and a mediator. <laughs> so, so you've had lots of people fighting, but you haven't had any people having moments of self awareness. No, I think I think maybe you're just hanging out in the wrong bar. <laughs> I think I'm hanging out in the right bar. In all honesty, <laughs> I like there's there is something that like about uh, the bar environment that kind of fosters that. Like even just like sharing one drink and like one good story with someone, you suddenly do feel like you're very close to them. Like, I, I don't know. Like I used to talk to, I, I used to go to a, a dive bar in Houston called Sherlock's, which I think oh. got shut down. Cause the owner was like using it as a front for cocaine or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a real thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been to Sherlock's. So oh, yeah, it, it was like a light chain or something, but it was like, yes, each one was like, I think independently owned, which is why this one of them well, was anyway. <laughs> So they're they're famous they're famous for having being a, a cocaine front. <laughs> no, for having a bookshelf that is the gateway to the bathrooms. Oh, that's cool. That's weird. That yeah. was not the place that I went. Anyway, I wish that it was. Um, the place I went was, I guess, not as cool as that. Those Sherlock's. Um, but like, yeah, I, we would go in there, and I would just say, like, you know. Like, man, at some point, someone's going to come over and talk to us about something. And like, by the end of the conversation, he's going to have bought us like two drinks. And my friend is just like, why? Why would that happen? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I am like flypaper to bar flies. Like, they look at me and I don't know what they see in me. But like, they'll talk to me about something and then we'll like become best friends and then they'll buy us a bunch of drinks. And he's like, that's really weird. Like, how do you get them to talk to him? Like, I don't. They just come over to me. And as as I said that, we walked into the bar and like half an hour later... Some guy comes up with his like girlfriend and he's like, um, you know, bartender, I need like two Coors Lights. And then he turns and looks at me and he's like, is that St. Christopher on your neck? And I said, yeah, I was I was confirmed under St. Christopher. He's like, oh, sweet. And he sits down next to me and my friend <laughs> and me and this guy and his wife and my friend become best friends. And when we, my friend and I go to order our next round of drinks, the guy's like, no, no, no. Put your fucking money away. I just got off of the the, the rig, the oil rig out in the Gulf. <laughs> I'm home for like four weeks. I got like a shit ton of hazard pay. I'm buying your drinks. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like the, 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 the weird rapid friendliness. That might've been my friend, Matt. I mean, that would have been funny <laughs> as shit. <laughs> he works on an oil rig. It's Texas. Wow. One in 20 people work on an oil rig. <laughs> None of them went to college and they all make more money than I'll ever see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, the, it, this is Sherlock's Baker Street Pub. Yeah, uh, definitely got shut down. I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm telling <laughs> but you, cocaine. Yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is definitely the place where, uh, yeah, 
like each location has their own kind of eccentric thing, but I'm pretty sure the the one common thing besides it supposedly looking like uh you know Sherlock Holmes study is that it's it has that trick door where it's basically a bookshelf case. Again, and that sounds best, awesome, but I swear yeah, to God, really cool. <laughs> the, the best part is that a it's a bar, so people are always going to need to go to the restroom, you know, at random periods of time. Yeah. And b because it's a bookshelf, uh, a bookshelf, you'll point them in the direction, and there's even like a <laughs> finger that's pointing restroom to a bookshelf, and people like l- walk walk towards it and then like look back at the bar and be like what the fuck like i'm not this drunk <laughs> yeah that like, seems what's, cruel what's in here? all honesty and and yeah you you just push it open and there it is and so yeah every now and then people will uh it, it used to be one of my favorite things to go to this bar and then you know have friends like have to go to the restroom and give them instructions like all right so it's going to be at that bookshelf. <laughs> just, they just look at you just like, you're shitting me. Like The fourth is, shelf, the 25th book. <laughs> yeah. Well, just it, a the guy best closing is, one is eye, when, trying to count everything. Um, the best part we, is when you see, when you see someone else come out and you see like a little, little gaggle of people around the, the area that it's supposed to be. And then they're like, Oh, okay. All right. Now I don't have to feel like a dumbass. <laughs> Oh my god. Um yes, oh, so okay. that's so that I don't know. That's that's I guess my final dig at this movie is that, like the parts that felt the most like they had something to say, obviously like to me felt the least sincere, the least honest uh to to my lived experience, which otherwise was reflected a lot. That cake was hilarious. Yes. I've definitely had a cake that's that's been like that. <laughs> Have you eaten it off the car park ground? That or? was the horror. That was like, did they? T- I it felt was, it was, it was so on top bad. of other cake. Yes. No, I, I, yeah. What's Michael, the rate Michael at which right, germs I, transfer through that. cake? I've definitely done that. Where where I'm like, oh, nah, roll. This this piece hasn't touched the ground. Exactly. Yes, it is. It cake is has only touched other cake. So. Right. Yeah. The first inch of cake is now just plate. And now I can yeah. just take the top off. It did look like glad, a really I'm good glad cake. We're agreeing on this. <laughs> At the end of the day, we no, can it, all. It did, it did not look. It did not look like good cake. It looked like like every cake that I've ever seen. Where I'm just like, nah, I don't want any part of that. Until it's you not get one me of those enough, like Instagram I, unicorn I cakes. But I think that like as far as like a probably store bought cake went, it looked pretty good. I've yeah. had one I think it was Instagram. a cake that was more it was more created in order to be able to deliver its its funny little message on the top rather than to actually be inherently a good cake. Right, it could have just been a post-it note on top of a box of triscuits for all they care. <laughs> no, I mean, I would have preferred Oreos, but yeah, that would have been. Well, this you was the final Oreos. day of this fake bar. <laughs> you can share Oreos, and you don't have to worry about like, uh, well. I guess no, see, if you drop an here, Oreo on the ground, that yes, Oreo is dead. Yes, but if you drop a cake yes. on the ground, still 75% <laughs> edible. Yeah, yeah yes. but you could take the – no, never mind. <laughs> With an Oreo, I feel like <laughs> you can salvage it by taking – you know what? This is – We're tangenting dumb. out. This, this yes, is – it's over. Are. It's time for us to end this. <laughs> 
<laughs> the yeah, tangents you, you are outweighing uh, the, the actual story. Um, so are there any final thoughts on this is, movie before we go? Person, why is the person that's living in America saying we should end this? I, I feel like this is, should definitely be just... I am, I am honestly <laughs> thinking of our guest because I. it's yeah. like, what? Is it Thank three there so now? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm hammered by now. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to move on to the whiskey now. Just keep going. I, I, mean, I, I have like... Uh, like okay, so I've one last thing that I guess I'd like to say, but I mean, I'm, and I apologize in advance if this is just going to sound like super pretentious or something, but I was, I, I mean, I was really thinking about this earlier on and also trying to think about it in, I, I guess it sort of rounds out some of the things that we're talking about with, with um, fiction uh, versus nonfiction filmmaking and, um, uh, and also the purpose of it, like what, what the, um, what, what it gives to you. And, I guess what it gave to me was that I did actually start thinking about why why do I drink? Like why why do I drink and why do I go to this these certain bars that I go to like my locals here where I do know the barman's name and they know me and I have a stool that I regularly sit on and um so like and what is it that I what why do I drink? And um aside from the fact that again I'm I'm Irish and it's basically you have to or you'll just be you know ch- chucked off a cliff or something at birth. Um so uh, and it, and I actually came to the possibly extremely pretentious conclusion that one of the reasons is that in a way, I think I, anyway, almost, I drink to kind of fictionalize my life a little bit. I drink to narrativize my life. I drink for those stories, like the stories that you were telling. I go to bars for those stories to happen. And so, mm. you know, I can't remember who it was who said that movies are a life with all the boring bits cut um but but it's sort of like that like when you drink you're not bored and uh you're probably very boring to anybody who's not on the same level of drunkenness as you are but you in your own head are not bored and so i think on some very post-rationalized very after the fact uh way that's one of the reasons that the the blending of fiction and fact here doesn't bother me so much because i think it's quite a clever um if very much post-rationalized reflection of 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 how it, it feels to be drunk. All right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. You always want to go to the bar hoping that something fun's going to happen, or at least that's my guess. I don't oh, know why you'd ever go to a bar home. otherwise. <laughs> like, the 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 love of the bar for me is the love of the the unknown, the unexpected. I don't know. I'm just trying to have a really good beer. I will say, I will say that one of the funniest things, um, <sighs> let me see if I can find it real quick is, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to. Um, so yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to read this quote from a, a guardian piece, um, that I found, uh, on this movie and its creation from, it's from uh, Charles, Charles Bromesco. Yes. <clears throat> this unorthodox method find the right people put them in the right bar allow everyone to get as lubricated as they like and let the cameras roll over two 18 hour days could only work under the proper conditions first and foremost they ensured everyone's safety providing transportation home along with some sober up food for all the tipsy parties at the end of the night Mm. they provided a soundtrack albeit reluctantly quote we tried to film it without the jukebox on for audio purposes so editing would be easier bill says (laughs) but after about 20 minutes everyone mutinied against us this ain't a bar without music. They took over and now that's baked in and it's so much a part of the film. 
which is just that feels real to me like if there is a thing in this movie i think that feels real it's all the music and i love the fact that they got all these people together and thought somehow that they could get away without having a jukebox (laughs) yes that's insane it's the soul of the bar unreal it's true yeah yeah the soul of the The bar and and the music is great because it like it ranges so much like there's spice girls and like sophie b Hawkins, but there's also like Kenny Rogers and yeah. I love the well. Sophie B. Hawkins. That was that was so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that uh on that level, like yeah, the jukebox is the soul of the bar. Like you my brother, oh, God sure. God bless him, he um is a, a frequenter of a bar that I used to frequent. So when I'm down in Texas, I go with him to the bar and he's got the the jukebox app on his phone. So like 15 minutes before we go to the bar, he orders us like a ream of music so that he can be certain that by the time we get there, it's his turn to go. And he announces himself. The first the first song that he always puts on is I'm walking on sunshine. (laughs) And again, this is like a a Texas dive bar. And people are just like, what the fuck is this? They want to hear like Waylon Jennings, not. <laughs> yeah, I'm walking on sunshine. It's uh, it's beautiful. Um, anyway, so that's it for today. Uh, we've had a spirited discussion about this movie <laughs> that is filled with spirits. Yes, you already said spirited. <laughs> I wasn't sure people were gonna get it. Um, I also just want to point out that there was a point during this podcast where I spoke the lyrics to the theme song to Cheers. <laughs> um, fair so I've fair use definitely fair use. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I if 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 they ever change fair lo- fair use laws, all of the podcasts that I've ever created will be illegal. Um, oh, so that's <laughs> fun. I made this mistake of using a Prince song for uh, a recent podcast, and if ever a podcast will get taken down, it's going to be that one. <laughs> I keep saying that we are insulated by our utter lack of popularity. Y- yes. Exactly. <laughs> Much Jeez. like Roaring Twenties, uh, we have yeah. collected a motley crew of people, and I feel as though we can operate outside the bounds of normal society. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, to that end, if you would like to pull up a stool with us uh, in a monetary way, you could go to patreon.com slash show and become part of our Slack channel, where likewise people will say they love each other before threatening to murder each other on a near daily <laughs> basis. <laughs> Again, that's patreon.com slash filmstage show. And don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So that is all for today. Michael, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about Kelly Reichert's First Cow uh, with Alex Heaney from Seventh Row, who, along with the a motley crew of her own. Uh, they just finished uh, The Road to Nowhere, which is their book about First Cow, as well as a number of other Kelly Riker books. And I, I've read excerpts of it, and it's fantastic. And it's 700 pages, guys, so it is, it's a it's a bargain. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly uh, comprehensive, and I mean that in the best possible way. So yeah, uh, we're finally talking about First Cow, and we can uh, finally talk, talk about that donut heist and get really hungry. Can't wait. Uh, where can people see that? Uh, that is available on uh, iTunes and in virtual cinemas. Still, I need to I need to check exactly, and I will post on Twitter if All people right. are wondering. 
Killer. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, next week we'll be talking about First Cow. And uh, yeah, look, uh, look, look forward to that. Let's, uh, in the meantime, tell the fine people at home where we could be found. Between now and the next time we're in their ears, let us begin with our guest. Jessica, where can people find you online for more of your work? Oh, uh, they can find me at uh, Jessica Kiang on Twitter. I'm I'm much much of a Luddite otherwise, so just Twitter, Jessica Kiang on Twitter. And uh, thank you very much for having me. It was fun while it lasted. It was. <laughs> Whatever. This place sucked anyways. <laughs> Bill Graham. Uh I just ordered a new pod or uh, microphone, so please tell me that this isn't ending. Um, uh, it's fine. You can Maybe find you me can cut Twitter. into that microphone and it'll end up to be cake. Oh, boy. Um, uh, you can God, find I me on that. Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me uh, on Instagram at Billstagram, uh, taking pictures of cakes on grounds. Why not? I'll find some. There's got to already be... An Instagram specifically yeah. for pictures of cake Drop on the cakes. ground. Drop oh, cakes. Definitely. I told I, I tell the story every now and then. I took a picture of an umbrella that had like been destroyed in a storm and it was still raining and it was in a garbage can. And I posted it on Twitter and within like 15 minutes, three other accounts specifically dedicated to broken umbrellas and garbage <laughs> cans on city streets. And <laughs> it was this, that was when I realized the internet was broken. <laughs> Move over, humans of New York. Yeah. Oh, you were a doctor in Syria, and now you're driving a cab. Well, this umbrella is broken and in a garbage can. Oh. Anyway, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. I'm on Letterboxd. I, for some reason, started an impromptu uh, Channing Tatum marathon. Um, I, what else? Okay, yeah. So intermission, the episode about uh, Kelly Reichardt's certain women with Orla Smith, also from Seventh Row. We we really like the people from Seventh Row, I guess. Um, and I, so that will be out this week, uh, and then the next episode will be Antonio Campos's Christine with uh, Cody Corral. Um, so Michael, yeah. when are we talking about the assistant on this podcast? I just remembered. Have we decided that yet? We have not. It is available on Hulu if anyone would like to watch it. It's it's great, but it's obviously a little bit grueling. We'll have to talk about that off air. <laughs> All right. And as for me, I can be found at my personal site, BrianJerone.com. Um, the site for my distillery is SchmidtSpirits.com. So if uh, watching Bloody Nose Empty Pockets has put you in the mood for drinking and you're in the DMV area, Schmidtspirits.com. Um, what else? Would they have Schmitz at the Roaring Twenties? I mean, I'd fucking love for them to. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd love it for this uh, liquor to be in any stores at the moment right now. So oh. I'm not going to say no. Um, I think you might have scuppered the possibilities there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we all know, Roaring Twenties closed down. This documentary told us this was its last day. <laughs> And all documentaries I'm going to be looking be for it in Las Vegas. So, <laughs> I wish we didn't tell you, Bill, if, so you just looked for it. What if, yeah, what if Bill is Kamiko the treasure hunter, but instead of looking for money, he's in Vegas looking for the Roaring Twenties? It's definitely Bunzo, and it's definitely I did. I looked it up. Bunzo. It is Bunzo, and it's played by Bunzo the Rabbit. Yeah. It's Bunzo oh as played there by Bunzo. A question about, about Bunzo? I love Bunzo. So it's documentary is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, if you're playing yourself, it's a documentary. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so what was I saying? I don't know. Uh, at every social media site, I'm Brian J. Rowan because I am deeply unimaginative when it comes to screen names. And, uh, of course, you can find every episode of this podcast slash documentary at thefilmstage.com along with writing. I should have a review up in a couple days, so uh, look out for that. I won't say what it is because I uh, don't feel like it. I also just I've, I haven't watched the movie yet and I'm just like, oh, okay. crap, I got to do that. So uh, look for that. I will tweet it out, I'm sure. Uh, in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week. And then one day, he went away, and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is?